How's prayer going for you guys? Is it going okay? The three a day thing? Not trying to out anybody. Like, uh, I, I never thought he'd ask. I, I missed it on Wednesday and it's been bothering me all day. You know, I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's, I, I just like this. It helps me to know you are praying. Um, and just to do simple things like be grateful at the end of the night. Isn't that nice? If you, if, if you didn't catch what we're doing, we're doing this just three a day in the morning. All of us were doing the Lord's Prayer. And just kind of, just what you saw us do at the beginning of the service. The evening, or excuse me, midday, we're doing something called Oikos Map, which I'll talk about toward the end. It's just people in your life that are far from God. Um, I don't know about you, I've, I generally sense the most Holy Spirit presence on that. Can, can anybody relate to me on that? Just that the Spirit's just, Jesus is eager to answer our prayers for people that are far from Him. Um, and then finishing the, the day with gratitude. Such a healthy, way to, to, to live. And we're doing this from now to Easter just to see what happens. Um, okay. Well, if you haven't started on, on the bctulsa.com, right on the webpage there, you'll see there's, there's a, um, deal that will show you the prayers we're praying. They're super simple. Um, and it's just something you can do rhythmically. It doesn't have to take more than five minutes, but any of these can take hours if you feel so led to do with Jesus. Um, so yeah, let's keep on praying together. Um, today, I'm going to reacquaint us uh, with vision with Believer's Church. I, I tend to believe that all churches have the same vision. We just have different ways of saying it. And what we say in Believer's Church is that our, our vision, our goal, what we're, what we're, the filter we're using to make decisions is whatever we do, we want it to be helping us become near and like Jesus. So near in relationship to and like in becoming like this person, Jesus. And, and so the question is, why is it something like that, that simple? And it's just simply as this, is Jesus tells us what we need to know about who God is and what God does. We, 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 we hear a lot of opinions. We have a lot of natural thoughts about who God might be and what he might do and what he might act like. But Jesus give us, gives us the clearest three-dimensional articulation of this is what God is like. If you're confused about what God is like, look at Jesus. But what's so stunning about Jesus is that Jesus is God having become one of us. In Genesis, humanity's created in the image of God. Our intention in our creation was to be images of God on this earth, little replicas. And Jesus is the perfect image of God. So he tells us who we are as humans. If we want to know what are we for, what, what's my life supposed to look like, it looks, it's meant to look like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says in the message that we see the intended picture of what humanity is meant to be like in Jesus. So it's really simple. If we can focus on Jesus to be near him and like him, we're going to have the most deep questions of our lives answered. Uh, Another way of talking about that is saying the gospel. The gospel is this word good news. It's the the announcement of good news. And, And its shortest version is simply the word Jesus. What's the good news? Jesus. 
What's the good news? Jesus. And you can start to unpack that. Now, the gospel in its longest version is Bible. That's its longest version. It's, it's this entire story of history uh, that the Bible covers the beginning and then even past us to the end. And, and so, so um, well, something that's interesting to think about, and this is so important when we said about Sozo, is do you realize that all of us humans, we under, understand ourselves, the world, and whether there is a God or not through story. Have you noticed this? That, that, that you, you kind of are writing a story in your life without even consciously thinking about it. The, the, the psychologists talk about when they're talking about hope, one of the things that determines hope is what future story are you writing? You know, so sometimes something could happen, there it, I knew it happened again, or, ooh, it's happened again, right? That, that, that how we imagine ourselves in the story of life, really every human is carrying that. And, and, and the truth is, we have got to get the gospel in our bones. We have got to be owning this DNA. We have got to let it shape us. Because as Brian and Cheryl said, that you can live your entire life on things that aren't true. And it's not just that, oh, my emotions will be a little bit more uh, un, un, unfriendly to me. It's that I will make life decisions. I'll, I'll do things or not do things. I'll have relationships. I'll act in certain ways in the world based on the story I've written or someone has helped me write. And so, guys, the gospel is this fundamental thing that... that we have to keep on going back to and going back to and going back to again. So to work it down to the DNA of our lives. I was born in church. Not actually in a church. Which that would have been actually much more interesting, I think. But I'm 51 years old. I've been walking with Jesus. I remember really making a decision for Jesus about eight years old. And as I review the gospel... I'm just now going, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I didn't know this was my actual story. Lord, work this into my DNA. And, and, and we see in the New Testament that we have multiple Gospels, right? We have Matthew's Gospel. His, his encountering Jesus and, and measuring that against what he knows in this whole history of the world and the Bible. And he gives that to us. Mark does that. Luke does that. John does that. We see that Peter in the book of Acts, on Acts chapter 2, and then again in Acts chapter 10, gives a version of the gospel. And then he has letters he wrote. We see uh, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, gives a version of the gospel. It's kind of like this accordion, you know, that between Jesus and the Bible that there's, we can kind of shorten it or lengthen it depending on how much time we have, I guess. We have Paul saying that multiple times in Acts and in his letters. And now we have you. There, there was an American author who said that you don't really know the gospel until you've written your own. Now, that doesn't mean you just out of thin air <laughs> grab a gospel. Get the, the gospel is the good news of things that actually happened in history. So, so there, there, there's, these guys before you and me have a unique vantage point is that they were there. 
So based on what they have seen and done, and then based on what we've encountered by the Holy Spirit and in life, we get to start writing the gospel that's in our DNA. You and me both. And that's what I believe God wants to do in our lives, is he wants to shape us so that our spontaneous, natural response to life is that we interpret it through the gospel. Guys, uh, in the the work that I do, I get to hear about seemingly hopeless stuff a lot. Like situations you don't want people to go through. And you can tell where the gospel is in your soul by your response to what would be hopeless-sounding information. Because the gospel literally is limitless hope. Despair is not part of the economy of the gospel story. And and so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is simply look at the gospel. Because I I think we need to soak in it. It's, It's foundational to who we are. One of the things that clued me into this was, I think it was last Tuesday, um, I was up doing my prayer thing, and, and I felt like the Lord said to me, hey, read Romans 1 through 8, you need to reacquaint yourself with the gospel. And, and I know enough to know, okay, uh, that's not remedial, this is, we're advancing forward. So I just started reading this, and I was like, whoa, oh, God, thank you. And then within an hour or two, Adam Cox, who's a pastor at a church in Kansas City, a good friend of mine, he, t- he texted me. He said, hey, man, I'm writing a statement on the gospel. Can you review it? I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, I was like, sure. So strange. I felt like the Lord asked me to go through this uh, just a little while ago. And then a couple hours later, uh, Caleb Breedlove leads Tulsa House of Prayer. Go pray with them, guys. They're, they're all sitting over there, right there. Caleb, Caleb and I were hanging out, and, and he said, hey, man, I appreciate you reviewing my gospel statement. I think it's so important we know the gospel. And I was like, you know, I'm slow. But I was starting to go, okay, what is the Lord doing here? Um, and, and so I have this really great sense of anticipation. This is going to be just the gospel according to Romans 1 through 8 this morning. But it's going to be hyper simple. Because I'm just going to read sections to you. I'll make a couple comments here and there as we go. But that's as good as it'll get. Okay? So I'm not giving you three points of anything. Um, it, 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 here's, here's why it's so important that we preachers use the scriptures. Because the odds are you won't remember a thing we say. But you have the scriptures. That you keep on coming back to and coming back to and coming back to. So I'm really excited. I have a great deal of anticipation that just as we read the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is going to enliven our hearts to the gospel of Jesus. And where he shows us where we're not in alignment, yes, Jesus. Yes, come and get me. Come and rewire me. Come, Holy Spirit, that I might believe what is true and live my life and make decisions based on what is true. Sound good? Yeah, so you heard that, Lord. That's my, that's my prayer. This is your gig. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to start at the beginning. I'm not going to read all of 1 through 8, but, I mean, it wouldn't be a horrible idea. But uh, I'm just kind of taking 
pieces. How many of you guys are familiar with the Romans Road? You ever heard that? Raise your hand if you see it. Awesome. Yeah, so it's another version of the gospel that you could just, what, Romans 3.23, which is what? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Romans 6.23. I, I need a little more confidence with that. Anthony's saying it. Somebody join Anthony. Romans 6.23. Wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. And then Romans 10.9 and 10. <laughs> Give us easier questions, Brian Derricott says. <laughs> if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, He's raised from the dead, you will be saved. This is good. Yeah, so, so that's another version. Again, the gospel is accordion. That's just highlighting. And so I'm just going to highlight some stuff from one, Romans 1 through 8. I, I highlighted it just based on what I thought were the main points, but there are certainly, if you are familiar with this, this, this Romans 1 through 8, you're like, he didn't include that. You are correct. Uh, it's so rich. It's so dense. It's so thick. By the way, the gospel is simple, and it's the most complex thing you'd ever meet. You know why we're talking about? We're talking about God. <laughs> we're talking about God solving everything that exists. So it's both really simple and so rich and dense and beautiful. So I'm going to read it, make a comment, and, and then we'll just respond to it. So Paul starts this whole letter to, to people in Rome he's never met. And we're going to realize through here it's both Jews and Gentiles that are reading this letter. And he's talking about this good news that he wants them to know. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. One thing I want to notice, and by the way, what I'm just going to do for you here is give you an example of the very thing you can do is stop while you're reading it and think about it. And then keep on going. And then keep on. So really, you're just getting my own personal reflections on this, which may or may not be helpful. Hopefully, they'll be sort of helpful. Notice that Paul right away roots the gospel in the Old Testament, in the Holy Scriptures. This, the God of the Old Testament is not different from the God of the New Testament, same God. So he's rooting, rooting the gospel in this story that starts in Genesis where God makes humanity in his image to together steward this beautiful planet to co-rule this planet but then humanity says no thanks i'll run the show on my own and sin and brokenness blows up the whole thing and god in his 
just can't help himself, love for humanity, decides to rescue humanity through this family called Israel. And then eventually he promises through the prophets there's going to be this leader. They call him Messiah that is going to bring God's rule back to earth. And forgive everyone's sins. Which is why then, Paul says, regarding his son, who as to his early life was a descendant of David. That very king. That that we knew there was going to be a king from his line. And how do we know that this is the Messiah? Well, he came back from the dead. How do I know Jesus is the one? He came back from the dead. It's kind of a thing, man. There's nobody else that we know of that's done that. Buddha, Confucius, uh, Muhammad, they're all still dead. But Jesus is alive and was attested to. by So he's appointed the Son of God in power. And this is what's so cool, to call all the Gentiles to the obedience, in other words, a life that looks like something that comes from faith. That comes from faith. This is the uniqueness of the gospel. Paul goes on then to say this. He said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does he mean? It's not, he's not just talking about good behavior. He's talking about everything set right. Between God, humanity, humanity in God, humanity and others, and humanity in the world. The righteousness of God is revealed that the gospel is the very power of God to set everything right. And it's by faith from first to last. How cool that Joe Spann, one of our elders who was talking about hope and saying, How could it be, God, that by faith you're doing all this stuff? It's the gospel. This is what he does. So Paul gives us this intro saying that this righteousness is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, Paul starts off with the problem. He gives us a description of humanity here. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God's plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. Paul's describing this mess that sin has made, this brokenness that sin has made. Now, what's fascinating, though, I don't know if you're like me, you've got a living inner Pharisee. You have one of those? I got one of those. 
that you can read this and say, yeah, those people are a mess. And then Paul knows that we're thinking that because then he goes on to say, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. (laughs) One amen. You only get mad about things you care about. God's wrath is a real thing, an important thing. But it is actually a manifestation of his love. It'll make more sense as we look at the gospel. But God is going to judge all this stuff. I'm so grateful because he's just. Wouldn't it stink if God wasn't just? How much injustice do you see or have you experienced? God will judge everything, every injustice. The only problem is we're part of it. So he says to the Jews who may be reading this, the very ones who God said, I'm going to work all this salvation through you. He says, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God and you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Here's what Paul's talking about. So God says to Abraham, And and then to Jacob and his sons, he says, I'm going to show you how to live in relationship with me so we can be together. My presence can actually be with you. So the first five books of the Old Testament is what we call the Torah, the law, that says, here's how to live. Here's what a beautiful life looks like. Don't kill each other. Don't take stuff from each other. Don't covet stuff. Don't worship idols. Right? Right? And so he's showing them this beautiful life, this way to live. And so Israel is in this privileged position to say, whoa, God has spoken to particularly us to tell us how to live. It's the law. The law shows us how to live. But the only problem is they keep on breaking it. They know what it means, what it looks like to live a righteous life, a beautiful life, in right relationship to God and the world. But they can't do it. In fact, Paul goes on to say this. He goes, what shall we conclude? Do we have any advantage? We Jews have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. See, law is a good thing. It's, It's a good thing not to kill people. But apparently in certain situations, any one of us is 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 available to kill somebody. Because it's still happening. It's still happening. Taking stuff is still happening. Even though we know that's not the... God's given us the law. We know better. We don't want to do that. But we kind of want to do that. So here's where Paul just blows everybody's heads off. He says, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. 
They talk about it to us. But this righteousness, that true righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, of glory of God, of what we're meant to be. And all are justified, approved freely by his grace through, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. When he says sacrifice of atonement, again, Paul roots us in the Old Testament. Anybody know what he's talking about? I want to be really brave and tell me. Lamb sacrificed. Where? Thank you, Rochelle. Come on. Yes, the lamb sacrificed at the temple. So God in the tabernacle and temple says, I want to live with you. I want to be around you. But you keep on sinning. And my my holiness is so strong that it's like going to the sun. You get too close to the sun, you're not going to last long. We, when we're sinful, we can't survive in God's presence. So, so he said, here's how I'm going to live with you, Israel. There's going to be this ark that, that inside of it's my word and above it's my presence. And that, that cover of that ark is going to be called, anybody know what it's called? The mercy seat or the atonement cover. And so once a year, the priest would sacrifice an animal. Both for, he'd have five different animals. He'd sacrifice them for himself and for all Israel. And only time, once a year, he'd go in the very presence of God and would sprinkle blood on that atonement cover and in front of the atonement cover, both for him and for all of Israel. So, and then God said, and I will atone for your sins. But Hebrews 9 tells us the problem with that is they had to do it year after year after year after year. And it turns out that the sacrifice of, of goats and animals really didn't take away sin. What it was is a big object lesson leading to the sacrifice of atonement that is Jesus himself. That once for all in the true temple, in front of God himself, he says, God, will you receive my blood? So whoever trusts me will be able to be in your presence forever. It won't kill them. Jesus becomes the sacrifice of atonement that makes everything okay for us to be with God. Leviticus 16 is the very one chapter that talks about it. And Leviticus 16 says, to, God says to Moses, now just so you know, Moses, you can't walk into the Holy of Holies whenever you feel like it or you'll die. God's protecting him. And now through Jesus' sacrifice, we can walk into the Holy of Holies. We can be the Holy of Holies. Because we become his temple. So we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We don't become available to God's presence. We don't become righteousness, righteous through anything that we do. We are incapable. We are incapable of making ourselves good enough for God to live with us. Let me say it again. The door is completely shut to God for every person in this room. 
except through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. You can't behave good enough. You can't do it. It is impossible. The gospel says you cannot behave your way into God's presence. It requires the sacrifice of atonement. It's been attested to for thousands of years and Jesus himself is that sacrifice. And this is what happens when we trust in what Jesus did for us by faith. We are justified. Another translation, every word has different synonyms for it. I like this word, approved. Since we've been approved, God approves of me through faith. Through trusting in what Jesus has done, God approves of me. God, God approves me. God approves of Guile Smith because he has faith in Jesus. He approves of me. I have peace with God. He doesn't have a grudge. He, he didn't say one thing and mean another. Anybody have a relative like that? Where you got to figure out all the time what's actually happening? Friends or family like that and you're never quite sure? God has clearly said, I hold no grudges. Everything's good between us because of your faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. God approves of me. I'm approved. There's no secrets. There's no other shoe that's going to drop. There's no, did I forget some things? The door's shut to God for me except for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Only way I get in on it is to trust it. It's the only way in. And that provides complete peace with God. The message translation in Romans 5 says, we've got it all together with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we receive through faith. So we stand in this grace, we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's, got a, that's a packed statement, the glory of God. The, it, it's this, this picture of what Eden was like before sin and, and what God wants to bring now. We see the glory of God over and over again in the Old Testament. When God shows up, it's the weight of God's being, the overwhelming beauty of God and His holiness. And now we get a hope in it for now, and then it starts to point to this future. When God in all his glory will be present on earth because of faith in what Jesus has done. Nothing we can possibly do to earn God's approval. We get a hope in a future that will blow our minds. The glory of God. Paul digs deeper. This is so important. He just says this. You know what, guys? Here's the deal. At just the right time, When we were still powerless, couldn't do a thing for ourselves. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. For a good person, some might possibly dare to die. Pause right there. Would you die for somebody in your family? I mean, really? What kind of math would go through your head? I wonder how long they're going to live. Now let's 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 escalate that to a friend. How about this? A stranger. 
Let's escalate a little bit more. How about a stranger who has stolen from you? Really, would you? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice, present tense, God demonstrates. God is ongoing demonstrating his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It just so happens not a single person in this room was born when Jesus died. In fact, here's the thing that Jesus did for us. Knowing we would steal from him. Knowing we would run our own show. Knowing we would say no to him. He died for us. Knowing we would fail him. Guys, this is so fundamental to our identity. This sentence, 5-8, I've been sitting on this for, for weeks. Just, just to get... I don't believe it that much. I believe God's happier when I'm getting it all right. And, and, and the funny thing is, God's like, I want you to get it right, but your motive is completely wrong. I was in love with you before you did a thing. I was in love with you before you did a thing. Oh, some of us just need, we just need to sit here for a long time. I'm going to move forward. But, but, uh, yeah, can you see how this is fundamental to our identity? Can you just, what kind of voices show up in your head when you screw up? That tells you where the gospel is in your DNA, where it is or isn't. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you just hear those, I'm an idiot, da-da-da-da. Well, yeah, we're all idiots. That's the point. It's not even relevant to his love. You see what I'm saying? My performance is not relevant to his love. It's all prior. I can only get forgiven through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It was really good, good to know that love and righteousness are not the same thing. He loves us into righteousness. Okay. And it goes like this. I'll be quick about this. Why in the world was there a law, by the way? Because that's a bummer. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Your workout regimen, you cannot do. You never will be able to. You will be a failure at all times. Okay, coach. (laughs) It says, the law was brought so that trespass might increase. In other words, we would know what's right and wrong. It'd be clear. It would be... Actually, then you start to realize, oh, God, thank you for the law. Because it's really, really clear as to what's right and wrong. Right? So it's not ambiguous. It's not just what I felt or you felt or what one culture thought and another culture thought. It's clear. Well, trespass increased when the law came. We got more. There's a computer on the second floor. John, John Frey and I were just laughing about this. It's Beth's computer. It's the accounting computer. On the computer is a sign that says, never touch this computer. <laughs> it literally says that on there. And John was looking at it this morning. I was like, man, I want to touch that computer. <laughs> we were walking by. I was like, that's so the law. Because I hadn't really thought about it until you put it on there, Beth. 
Now I really want to touch that computer. But here's what's stunning about the gospel. That where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How crazy is that? Sin got bigger, and so God's like, yeah, let's do some more grace then. Now, here's the fun part. But Paul says, well, what are we going to say then? Should we go on sinning that, so that grace may increase? By no means. We're, we're, those, we're those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So see, this is the thing. The righteousness that we're given comes by faith and then is we're set free from the power of sin that keeps us doing the same stupid stuff over and over again. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive of God in Christ Jesus. But I love the tension I can feel in the room because everyone's like, yeah, that's not working out so much for me. And Paul says the same thing. I know, we know the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. In some translations, you see flesh. Flesh, Paul's talking about this orientation that we have in ourselves to want to run the show by myself. Sin answers the right questions, just the wrong answers to the right questions of who God is and who we are. Sin's my ability, my desire just to answer it myself. So I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do. I, the evil I do not want to do is what I do. I, I keep on doing it. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's actually no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me. That does it. There's something in me. I, 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 it just it subverts me. It betrays me. Can anyone relate to me? Boy, I can. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Just feel that tension. I was feeling it yesterday. I wanted to please God so much with how I was living my day. I thought, oh, this is that tension that I can't resolve. But here's the good news. Thanks be to God who delivers me. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He delivers us from that tension. Why? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In other words, you've been baptized into Jesus. You've put your faith in Him. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death, the law that excites sin and brings death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
The way I like to think of this is that the law is this kind of like this structure, this architecture. Uh, I almost imagine in my mind like a, a jungle gym. It's what a beautiful life looks like. But I cannot climb up it. I just don't have the strength to stay on it. Sin keeps on wrecking me. So what God did, he said, let's have Jesus do this. He has the strength to do it. And I'm going to condemn in your flesh that thing that subverts you over and over again. Why? Because we don't live according to the flesh. But the glory in the presence of the living God, no longer in a temple, no longer with blood sacrifices, so one priest can only go there once a year. But the very same presence that was on Mount Sinai, the very same presence that brought the world into existence is now giving you power to live a righteous life. Paul says it this way, those who live according to the flesh. In other words, my ability to get things right, my own resources, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This is one of the best verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, to live according to it. Do you know that we don't have to sin? We are not hopelessly condemned to sinning. We don't have to sin. You're gonna. But this is, what ha- this is what we learn. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit. What's that mean? It means this ongoing relationship of learning to rely on the Holy Spirit to say no to sin. I, I was having to exercise it this morning. Um, I, I feel all this weird spiritual warfare going to this. I just realized, oh, Satan doesn't like the gospel. And, and, and so just temptations are running through my mind about, am I acceptable? Am I going to be doing a good job as a, as a minister? And, all, and I just knew enough because I just studied this sermon to say, Holy Spirit, you got to help me right now. you got to help me right now. I'm going to get derailed on who I think I am or not. And it's such a waste of time. you got to help me. And then I hear Sam singing, good news. Good news, which Ben Kilgore wrote over at Cornerstone Church. He's amazing. I love that song. Good news. And I was able to set my mind on the Spirit, what the Spirit desires. Why? Because I'm so good? No, my flesh is so weak. I'm so weak. But I'm good at depending. John Freoy says his superpower is a low pain tolerance. He quickly realizes, I need help, and I need it now. And here's the thing that's amazing. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, we're not just avoiding sin. We're not just walking into a righteous life. The very definition of someone who's learning a relationship with the Holy Spirit, how to live into a beautiful life, they're the children of God. See, when I'm interacting with the Spirit, I'm interacting with my Father who's teaching me what a beautiful life looks like. The Spirit in me doesn't make me a slave, so I'm afraid of the shoe dropping. Afraid of the thing happening I didn't know I did wrong, and I'll never know until it's too late. The Spirit I received brought about my adoption to sonship. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit 
we're God's children. A great prayer is just to say, Abba, Abba. And know that the Holy Spirit will continue and deeply and more deeply testify with your spirit. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're learning to live with the Spirit's power. And that's what a son or daughter is. Someone learning to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And we've got this future thing. And I'm going to just go ahead and skip through this. You can read it. It's in the Bible. Even though we're adopted, there's some angst, isn't there? There's some not yet, right? And the only time this is going to happen when we're fully enjoying our sonship is when our bodies are redeemed, when we're raised from the dead. Our bodies are always going to be in rebellion to us a bit. Something about us is going to be fighting our sonship. So if you feel like there's a fight, welcome. You haven't died and been resurrected yet. But what we have out here is God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Isn't it great to have a vision statement that God himself is going to fulfill? Where he's going is to make us like Jesus, to make us near and like him. So, that's Gospel according to Romans 1.8. That was very ambitious of me, I recognize. Um, but here's, here's the thing to do with questions like this. How does, as we go over something like this, how does it in, uh, impact your understanding of who God is and what God does? Did you notice anything? Here, there, you're like, oh, I didn't realize God was that good. Or how about this? About who we are and what we do. I could feel some energy on that because I kept on repeating it. You're approved by God through faith in Jesus. You're approved. Do you believe that? Do you feel like that? Is that a spontaneous reaction to your failures? He loves me. All I got to do is repent. Everything's good. He forgives me. How about this whole future stuff? Is he writing your life? Are you stressed out about where your life is going? John is not. I can tell you where your life is going. It's to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be beautiful. Everything else is gravy, guys. I can tell you all the crazy jobs I've worked. God will get you where he wants to get you, when he wants to get you. That's so side stuff. The center is Jesus himself, becoming near and like him. I mean, you know, guys, especially the college students here, there's so much stress you do not have to have. Nobody knows what they're doing. I'm 51, still figuring out what I'm going to do when I grow up. I promise you. I promise you. And anybody says they know it's going to change before they know it, and they're going to have some ego issues to work through when it does. Said all the 50-year-olds and over, right? You know, this part of my body no longer works. No, I didn't plan on that. You know, it's going to happen. So here's a little practice. One thing you could do this week, read Romans 1 through 8 in one sitting. Just do it in one sitting. And don't, don't get too deep on anything. Do it in a translation. NLT is a good one, New Living Translation, if, if you're not into really working through the, the verbs. And then tell somebody the gospel that you understood from that reading. Just tell them what, what hit you. What got you alive. Guys, the... This is, this is like, this is the power of God to save us. This, is, this isn't like, man, I should add that to my stable. 
This has to be our fundamental worldview. Or, 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 or we're, we're going to be just not living the life that God has offered us. It's going to be some other version. And eventually, if we don't address it, it'll be idolatry. A lot of it, most of the time, for me, it's idolatry of how good I can be. I worship myself. It's the realize the door is shut to God for me, except through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus that forgives me and approves me. And I can never get anything right unless I'm powered up by the Spirit. It's not even possible. I'm not made to live on my own power. It's not possible. Okay, let's stand together. We're going to finish with praying for our cast maps. If you're new to this, this is just the idea of who's in your relational network that is far from God. If you haven't had a chance to do it, just kind of put yourself at the center. Maybe you have two or three people. And we found that as we consistently pray, I could tell you story after story, that if you pray for people far from God, you might think you're the worst evangelist in the world, and you, you probably are, just like me, just like me. And Jesus, on his own, will draw him, draw her to himself. So this is a simple prayer we're going to pray. So let's just in a minute think of the people who are on our map. Bring up those minds, maybe some faces. They're far from God. And let's pray this together. Lord, I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Lord, will you bring by the power of the Holy Spirit the gospel to bear on every life today, the power of God to save us, to rewire our brains, our bodies, our relationships, everything around us, and in the future to redo everything on earth to make it beautiful as you desire it to be. And thank you that we get to be part of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If anybody wants to talk about the gospel, come on up here.